No matter who you are, you can write the book inside you. Go on, do it. You will enjoy doing it. Hello, and welcome to the Write the Book Inside You podcast. Tips, tools, and interviews for coaches and healers like you who want to write a non-fiction book to boost your visibility, clients, and cash flow while making a difference. I'm your host, Carol Westmore, a multi-published author and energy psychology tapping book coach. Now let's jump into today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to the Write the Book Inside You podcast, where I have a very special guest today. His name is Nick Westmore, and yes, you've guessed he's my husband. And why invite him on the podcast? Because he has written not only one, but three books that were inside him. And he's proof positive that it's never too late to do that, to write your book and share it with the world. Welcome, Nick. Oh, yes. Well, thank you, Carol. I'm pleased to be here to tell my story. Well, one thing I want to share with the listeners first off is something you put into one of your prefaces, and that is your school leaving report said, Nick is a good-natured lad with difficulty controlling his sense of humor. And I think that's one of the things that attracted me to you and to the book's you write. People love that you have a whimsical way of seeing the world. Am I right? Yes, yes, you're right, Carol. I, I do like writing about humour. I look for it everywhere I go, and I always put it into my writing. It's worth sharing your first book. Later, we'll describe how you came to write it. But right now, I want you to tell the listeners, what is this book about? It's called The True Expat Tales of an Expatriate in the Oil and Gas Industry, and what is a true expat, and how did you come to be writing about it? Uh, Yes, Carl, yes, a true expat. I'm just going to read from the back of my book. He's a guy who tells exaggerated and risque stories. He can be the epitome of goodness and light, nigh on celibate, practically teetotal, and given to help old ladies across the road. Can I just stop you a minute, Nick? In fact, the listener mightn't understand. That is the kind of characters we're talking about. But tell us a bit about the early part of your introduction to the tree expect life and community. I mean, it was a way of life for you for many years. Yes. It started out when I served an engineering apprenticeship. After my apprenticeship, I moved to work in London, where I joined an American engineering contracting company in the oil and gas industry. Through the following years, the projects I worked on were overseas. And this is where I met the characters that I've written about in my book called True Expat. So tell us about some of the countries you worked in, Nick. I worked nearer to home, coming from England or the Isle of Wight where we live. I worked on the continent. In I worked in Germany and Holland and Italy. At other times, I worked in the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Bahrain, Iraq. I also worked in Southeast Asia, in Malaysia. Back in Central Europe, I worked in Azerbaijan. So I've had a pretty good cross-section of countries working in the oil and gas, and also worked on the offshore platforms as well. What was your actual role? You weren't on the platforms, were you, Nick? I was part of a project management team, and it was when I was there working overseas 
that I wrote home to my family about what life was like, the people I worked with, the funny side of my life, as it were, working as an expatriate. Is that every six weeks you would have a rest and relaxation, R&R, so that you were working for six weeks. And in the beginning, you would go home. But as time went on and you lost your wife, you spent a lot of time roaming the world with your backpack. Tell us about that. We used to get the what was called R&R, rest and recuperation breaks. And because of the tax situation, I couldn't spend more than 63 days a year in the UK. So I used to go off overseas. I would travel to Pan, Australia. On those journeys, I would describe seeing the people I met because I, I thought that they would be of interest to people. And I've included them in the book as a sort of part two, the, the travels I made when I was on my R&R breaks. Yes, I think one of the wonderful things as the editor and person who helped Nick get this book into the world was A, the sense of humor, which we've mentioned, but also the fact that the interesting characters, he would tell me that he'd be people watching from a cafe and then he would jot down some of the interesting characters he met and incidents that happened on his journey. Now, you may wonder, well, how did I come to help him edit it? Because when we first got married, and that's another story for another book, he would pull out from his desk drawer a folder with the stories that would later make up this book. After listening to him and chuckling with him, and I said, why don't you put it into a book? I've, I was by then writing Amazon books and publishing them. So this book came about. It took some while. We had to shift everything around, all the letters he wrote home. To this day, you sometimes sit up in bed at night and, and or in the lounge mm. and reread from the book. And how oh, old yeah. were you actually when you published your first book? I must have been 70 because I didn't retire until I was 67. So I think for me, the, the, the writing of the book and the reason why I like to dip into it even now is the fact that I enjoyed writing it. It brought me a great deal of enjoyment. And I thought, well, if I can bring the same enjoyment to my readers, bring a smile to their face. That was what really captivated me, the enjoyment of writing. So one of the incidents that really stood out for me when I first heard you recounting your travels, Nick, was the story about the donkey race in Iran. Tell us some more about that. Yes. These three guys from Newcastle in England were working on this big construction site in Iran, and it was Friday. They were bored stiff. It was a day off. There was nowhere to go. It was the, the holy day for the, the Muslims who lived in Iran. So they were sitting in, the, in their cabins, and they were drinking a drink called Siddiqui. Siddiqui means friend. They'd had a few drinks, and, you know, sort of grumbling to each other. And one, said, one of them said, I know what we'll do. We'll have a donkey race. And, of course, his, his two pals said, you know, don't be silly. Where are we going to get the donkeys from? He said, no problem. He said, I know the guy who brings the, all the goods to the site with his donkey carts. He's got some donkeys. They're tied up in a shed. Let's go and get them. But first, let's get some paint. Why do we want paint? Because we're going to have racing colors got the paint from the store, off to the, the donkey shed, and then they painted the donkeys their, their racing colours. The three donkeys were all different, racing colours from head to tail, covered in paint. They took them out into the main street of the town. Of course, the donkeys, they didn't like this because it was their day off. They weren't going to run anywhere. So our three guys, of course, they're a bit in inebriated, 
So they then started shouting and thumping him on the back and eventually got the donkeys to run pell-mell down the main street of the town. They passed the door of the mosque. The guys were just coming out and there was the owner of the donkeys watching his painted donkeys gallop by him. He saw these three guys, at which point they turned around and vanished. The next day, the owner of the donkey was knocking on the construction manager's door, complaining about the donkeys being painted. The three guys, sobered up by this time, gave him a good reward, if you like, for using his donkeys. But that wasn't the end of the story for him because he couldn't get the paint off the donkeys. He just couldn't get it off. Well, this actually turned out to be a magical thing for him because people started to come to view his donkeys. Now he became a celebrity because people came from far and wide to see his painted donkeys. And that's the story that I wrote about the donkey race. Is there another one of a character that you'll never forget? One of the other characters I, I liked, he was a guy from the States who, who arrived on site at Shedgum in Saudi Arabia, came and sat down with us in the evening, dressed in a, all in black. He had black, black trousers, a black shirt, a black Stetson with a white feather in it. We, we said, hi, you know, you're welcome. He said, I'm, I'm Jimmy Two Rivers. I said, what, you know, what is that feather you've got in your hat? And he said, well, he said, you know, that's to do with the tribe. And so he then tells us that he belongs to one of the, you know, the tribes. I think it was maybe a Cheyenne or one of the tribes. And he then explains that his great, great grandfather, maybe further back, was the guy who had defeated Custer. And of course, we now realize that we've got a real storyteller on our hands. And we would sit with him in the evening and he would tell us his tales. And we wouldn't believe a word of them, of course. A time came when he was told he would have to work at nights because it was too hot in the daytime. Oh, okay, Jimmy, what are you going to do about that? He said, I'm not going to work at night. So the construction manager fired him on the spot. So that evening we said, to him, look, Jimmy, this is bad news being fired. No, no, he said, it's not bad news. He said, I've only come to Saudi Arabia just to have a look at what it's like here. That's all. Didn't want to really work much. So off he went on his travels again. And that was Jimmy Two Rivers. A colourful shirt, that African shirt you're wearing, Nick. I bought, I bought this shirt in Africa. I visited three countries. Uh, I visited Kenya, Uganda and Ethiopia. And I can't remember which of those three countries I bought this shirt. But I liked, I've always liked colourful shirts. Actually reminds me of the shirts that Nelson Mandela wore when he was president. So we'll come back to the African theme in your life, Nick. And move on, because what do you say at the back of your book about? Reading from the back of The True Expat, it says, This book takes you on a journey to offshore oil and gas platforms, to desert construction sites, to home office shenanigans in an engineering design department. But it doesn't end there. You'll be taken on my global travels and hear of the folks I met along the way, be it Melbourne or Rio, Chittagong or Tokyo. And let's not forget the time I met Bridget Bardo, much to the envy of my friends. Mind you, I have used some license in my stories, but isn't that what you would expect of a true expat? So let me get Nick to tell you about his encounter with Bridget Bardot. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you about Bridget yes. Bardot. <laughs> For those of you 
who don't know Bridget Bardot, she was a bit of a, a sex uh, symbol, if you like, in the early days of French uh, movies. As a, as a young guy, as a young apprentice, I and my fellow apprentices, we really fancied her. Many years later, when I was traveling in Brazil, I went to a, a town called Buzios. And when I was walking around a lakeside, there was a statue of Bridget Bardot. So her statue was there, and I sat next to her on a bench, put my hand on her knee, and I had my photograph taken, and I sent this back to my buddies in the UK, and I said, look, I said, I've got one up on you because I've got my hand on Bridget Bardot's knee. Of tell us why so. you wrote The Village Boy at Heart. Yeah, again, like I said, folks, you know, I like writing, and for those of you who also like writing, you'll get the enjoyment that I've got. I want you to tell my children something of my life that they probably didn't know about. The only way I could do it was to write about it. So I wrote about my life from my childhood, through schooling, when I started work, when I first met my wife, who's passed away now, with the birth of our children, I like what my life was like. So I wrote about that for them, so that they they could say, well, gosh, I didn't know that, Dad, you did this, or you were, you did that, or that's how you met Mum. So I wrote all of those things for them. And I've left a copy with them so that, you know, sometime they may not, may want to look back at it and say, yes, you know, that was dad's mum and dad, that's who they were, that's where they came from, that's where we were born, that's what dad and mum were doing at the time, all those sort of things. So I enjoyed mm. doing that for my children. And Nick, you know, in these times which see have been so difficult for people who've been separated from their loved ones, actually in the older category, if COVID is going to get to them, I think you have, you know, there probably are other people who will be inspired by you writing your your book. And it was a wonderful day. We had what we call our annual Christmas party, where you had unboxed your book and gave it to each of them. Yeah, yeah. And the book is on Amazon. I'd like to ask you about, are you writing another book now? I mean, you turned mm. 80 in March, you're mm. fit and healthy, mm, and yeah. you have a lot of, what are your interests? And we actually are based in South Africa at the moment because of CV-19 restrictions. And we've been here for a year or so, haven't we? And in that time, but we've been coming here on and off for the last 10, 12 years. And out of that time, Nick, you were still writing letters or emails to your children. Here we go again. I'm writing letters this time by email to my family back home, my four children and my sister, telling them about life here in South Africa. And from those letters, nearly through writing the first draft of my next book, which will be called Letters from South Africa. And again, basically what I've looked for is the humorous things that I've seen in life down here. If you look for humor, it's all around you. It's symbolic that one of our favorite comedians is Trevor Noah. Yes. And I think he was the one who said you can find humor anywhere. Look, he was telling how his mother had been shot through the backside, the bullet went through her face. And obviously it had left a bit of a 
maybe I'll call it disfigurement. So she said to her son, Trevor, now you are the most handsome person in the family, which yeah. I thought was rather nice. Yeah, and he did make a joke of when they came to him with the bill, and they said, okay, sign here. Yes. It's gonna be, and then he said, well, she's had a good and long life. Yes. <laughs> and he just makes made a joke out of what was actually a very harrowing moment. Yeah. So let's move on, Nick, to the actual writing and publishing of your books. We, we are what people call independent self-published authors. Managed myself and helping you to find, to outsource someone to maybe do the covers and maybe do even a final proofread because although we read each other's books for editing, always good to get another eye to reread. Now, one of the things I want to share with the listeners is how you actually sit at your computer and type with two fingers. <laughs> I can't touch type. So, you know, I'm laboriously slow, but I do get there in the end. The thing that I want to, to mention here is how important it is to have somebody like Carol to help you, because even, even if you think that you, you've got it right, you need somebody else to go through it for you, to proofread it, edit it, to tell you how to do the front and back cover. There are so many other things apart from the writing that you probably need help with. And this is where Carol's invaluable help has brought my books to fruition, to the point where we could actually say, right, we've got a finished product. You have written the book inside you, and you will continue to be writing the book inside you. Yeah. And that is a beautiful thing, and I'm so proud of you. And I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your books. I'll put the links in the show notes for anyone who wants to actually follow up mm. and look for your books on Amazon. And no matter who you are, you can write the book inside you. Go on, do it. Your expat friends who read your book, John, then wrote to you recently and said... He said that, you know, inspired by me, he's now writing his book. He's been, In fact, he's doing his biography, inspired by what, what I had done. So I hope that I've inspired you. Go on, do it. Write your book. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. Want a free gift to inspire you further on your book writing adventure? My free checklist, five book hook tips to kickstart your book writing journey, will help you get clarity on the key essentials to make your book a winner. Download it at writethebookinsideyou.com forward slash free gift. The links are in the show notes. Until next time, a big virtual hug and keep writing.